Well, good morning and welcome once again to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. It is so good to be back with you guys. Um, as most of you know, I've been very, very ill for the last couple of weeks, so it is great to be back. And uh, now I'm going to ask for a little bit of grace today. Um, I don't have a whole lot of voice and I'm tending to cough a little bit. So uh, please give me a little bit of grace this morning as we try and get through the sermon this morning. Um, I also know we have a lot of little kids in the audience today, and that's great. All these little infants and toddlers and moms and dads, please don't feel like you have to worry about that or stress about that. It does not bother me in the slightest if they're making noise. It's actually music to my ears. So please don't feel like you got to get up and take your kids out if they're making a little bit of noise. That's okay. I'll just assume they're saying amen. I am really excited that Mission Viejo Church of Christ is about to celebrate its 50th anniversary. And that's going to be coming up on September the 18th. And we are working really hard and have been for several months to put together a really special service on that day. We'll have a guest speaker. Uh, we'll have one by one here to lead us in worship. We are going to have a catered luncheon, a really nice catered luncheon. We are inviting the community and we are inviting all of our members and former members to be here. So this is where I need your help because a lot of you are still in contact with some of our former members, whether they're still here local or whether they've moved on to another state or another place. And we want you to start inviting those people back to church for that day. We want to try and fill this building to the rafters on September the 18th. So please mark that on your calendars or take a quick picture of the slide up there, whatever you need to do to remember this. And we want you to really start inviting folks to church on that day. Now, not only do we want you to invite your former members who you may still be in contact with or maybe friends with, but what a great opportunity to invite your friends, your family, and your coworkers to join us on September the 18th because it's going to be a very special day. We'll have a very special message that day. Uh, you don't even have to hear me that day, uh, but we'll have a very special message that day. We'll have uh, one by one the acapella group leading us in worship, and then we're going to have an amazing luncheon immediately following services. So again, put that date on your calendar. Please try to be here yourself. Try not to schedule anything else that weekend and start thinking about who could I invite to that service? Who do I know that needs to hear the good news about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. All right. So let's get into today's sermon. We have been looking at and talking through and walking together through some of the miracles of Jesus. And we've talked a lot about faith. And you may see this slide and go, oh, we're talking about faith again. Well, yeah, we are talking about faith again. But we're going to talk about something just a little bit different today. We're going to talk about the need and the importance and a great example of having strong faith. Now, many of you know, a couple weeks back, we, we talked a little bit about Peter and, and the walking on water and how, you know, he started off with really strong faith and then he kind of lost his faith and, and Jesus rescued him from the waves. Today, we're going to look at an example of someone who had really strong faith. And I want you to take just a moment this morning to kind of take stock of where you're at on your spiritual journey. Where are you at on your... <coughs> See, I couldn't even make it five minutes. Where are you at in your faith? How would you... How would you describe your faith. Is your faith unwavering? Is your faith strong? Or is your faith strong in the good times and not so much in the bad times? But I want you to think about that here this morning, because when it comes to our faith, we, we know that we're supposed to have strong faith, but how do we develop strong faith? And see, that's where it gets just a little tricky, right? Because just like if you want to be strong physically, right, you go to the gym and what do you do? You go to the gym and you lift weights. And when you lift weights, you're actually tearing down your muscles. 
And the first time you go, you're in a whole lot of pain for about a week afterwards. But, but you, when you go to the gym, right, you, you build up your muscles by tearing them down and they rebuild stronger. And see, that's what happens to you and I. As we go through our trials, as we go through our tribulations, as we go through our daily lives, we have things that tear us down. The difference is, are we building back stronger? See, that's how we get to have strong faith. And what I want to look at with you here this morning for just a few minutes is an example of strong faith. So we're going to look at the healing of Jairus' daughter. And this is a really cool story, and it's a great example of two people, not just one, but two people that had very strong faith and what they did about that. So I want to invite you, if you would, to turn to Luke. Turn with me to Luke. Oh, thank you, Skeeter. Uh, Turn with me to Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 40. So again, Luke chapter 8 verse 40. And we're going to look at this account of the healing of Jairus' daughter. It says, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. It says, for they were all expecting him. Now remember, if you want the the context, right? If you're following me on the timeline of Jesus and his miracles, he had just healed the demonic man that lived among the tombs. We all kind of know that story. And he he took the, the evil spirit and he cast him into the pigs and then he sent the pigs into the water, right? Well, that kind of freaked some people out. And they weren't real happy with having Jesus there. And they kind of basically said, okay, now Jesus, move along. Well, this is where we pick up in today's story. Jesus has basically been told to move along. And he has. It says, then a man named Jairus, it says a synagogue leader, who came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Now, see, this would be easy to gloss over this fact of who Jairus was. Right? Because as we read this, and we kind of read this kind of quickly, we, we think, oh, it's just a guy, right, who'd heard about the miracles of Jesus and came to ask Jesus to heal his daughter. But there's so much more to it than just that. Because it specifically says, and it's there for a reason, it says that Jairus was a synagogue leader. Now that means he was well respected among the Jewish people. He had a position, right? He had a standard. He had a a standing in the community. He would have been somebody who was fairly important. He would have been held in high esteem. And he probably had some doubts about Jesus. Because remember, we have to look at the context, right? Let's think about, let's go back and think about during Jesus' time here on earth, during Jesus' time of ministry, did the Jewish leaders like Jesus? Nope. Matter of fact, we read in in the Gospels that over time they begin to hate Jesus. And they hated Jesus because Jesus claimed to be God incarnate. Now, we know that that's exactly who Jesus was. But see, the Jewish leaders weren't hearing that. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was doing these amazing things and then claiming to be God. This man was one of the Jewish leaders. Chances are he probably wasn't a big fan of Jesus. There may even be a chance that he hated Jesus. He may have even been one of the ones seeking to trick Jesus or to capture Jesus. But this man, who by all rights should not have had any faith in Jesus, is going to share with us a powerful story of strong faith. See, the question is, where do we turn when we're in crisis? Crisis always looks like it's spelled wrong to me. Is that spelled right? Okay, good. Thank you. I can always count on Victoria. She's really good with grammar and spelling and all that. I don't know why that always looks wrong to me. But this is my least favorite thing about California. It's called a roundabout. 
I hate roundabouts. And I'm just going to say that. And I know hate's a strong word, but I hate, I hate roundabouts. Matter of fact, on my ways, uh, my wife actually went through and recorded all of the sayings on ways. So when I use ways to navigate, it's actually Lizzie's voice, which throws everybody off the first time they hear it. But when, it, when I come to a roundabout, it actually says, at the roundabout, you know you love them. Take the XYZ exit. So see, the problem with roundabouts is nobody knows how to use them. I shouldn't say nobody. Most people don't know how to use them. And the problem with roundabouts is there's so many different ways you can go, right? You can take the first exit. You can take the second exit, and you keep going in the path that you were going. You can take the third exit, right? And that's going to make a left turn. Or you can get stuck in that circle and just keep going around and around and around and around and around. Roundabouts. I hate them. But my point is, and this is what I want you to think about as we unpack the story of Jairus and his daughter, is where do we turn when we're in crisis? See, Jairus was in crisis. And, and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles, can you even imagine your child is dying? Now, back in the time of Jesus, it wasn't as simple as throw him in the car and take him to the emergency room. Unfortunately, when, when someone was dying like this, there wasn't a whole lot that could be done to stop the process. And we don't know a lot of the backstory of what was going on with her, but what we do know is she was dying. So put yourself in Jairus' shoes. He's about to lose his only daughter. Now, Jairus had some options, right? Where was Jairus going to turn? Was he going to turn to the Jewish leaders? Was he going to turn to the sorcerers or the magicians? What was he going to do? when he was at the end of his rope. And I wanted you to think about that here this morning. When life just keeps knocking you down, when life throws you curveball after curveball after curveball, and every time you take a step forward, you get knocked two steps back, where do you turn? And see, that's the problem with society as a whole. As we forget sometimes that where we should be turning is to Jesus. And we turn to ourselves, and we turn to others, and we turn to alcohol, and we turn to drugs, and we seek other ways to ease our pain and make us feel better. But see, even Jairus, who was a Jewish leader, a synagogue leader, knew where he needed to turn. I want to skip over to John chapter 6 real quick. It says, Simon Peter answered him, it says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, Jairus had a decision to make. Now think about this too. That first verse that we read, right? Not only did Jairus know where to go, but he fell down at the feet of Jesus. Jairus fell down at Jesus' feet. So here's this synagogue leader. Here's this Jewish leader who is now on his hands and knees at the feet of Jesus. Because see, he understood what John was trying to say. That only Jesus could fix his problem. Now, that must have been a sight to behold. Because you've got to remember that a lot of people saw this, and a lot of people are like, isn't, isn't, is that Jairus? Well, wait a minute. Why is Jairus kneeling at the feet of Jesus? This would have been a very impactful moment. Now, all of Jesus' miracles were impactful, but this would have been a very impactful moment, especially when you start to understand who Jairus really was. Let's pick back up in Luke. I know I'm making you guys flip around in your Bibles this morning. 
Let's, let's go back to Luke and let's pick up in chapter four, verse 42. It says, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. And Jesus was on his way. The crowds almost crushed him. Now, see, remember at this point, we've already gone through how many of the miracles of Jesus? Four or five of them, and there's more of those that we didn't even get into. The word was starting to travel about Jesus. People were intrigued. Now, some of these people that were following Jesus were following Jesus because they understood that they were in the presence of the Messiah. Some of these people were following Jesus because they wanted to see a show. And some of them, it was just morbid curiosity. What in the world is this guy doing, and who does he think he is? But we know that there was a whole lot of people in this scene because it says the crowds almost crushed him. It says, and a woman was there who had been in, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. See, this is another one of these miracles within the miracle story. You want to talk about somebody with strong faith. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. And by the sounds of this passage that we just read, she's tried everything and nothing has worked. Nothing has been able to stop this problem that she has. But she knew if she would just fight through the crowds and if she could get to Jesus and just touch the hem of his garment, that she could be healed. And it says immediately her bleeding stopped. See, we're talking today about strong faith. This lady had strong faith. And we don't know a lot about her. We don't know her situation. We don't know why she was bleeding. But what we know is she was suffering. But her faith was strong enough that she knew she had to get to Jesus. And it may or may not have looked something like this. Obviously, they didn't have iPhones back then. We don't have pictures of everything. But, but this gives you an idea of what, what's happening in our story. She's literally just reaching out for Jesus. She had a problem. She knew where to go. She's literally reaching out for Jesus. Now, I don't want you to miss this. You notice how old was the girl? She was 12. And this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. See, this is another one of those things that's easy to kind of just gloss over as we read Scripture because sometimes we read Scripture just to read Scripture. But 12 is found 187 times in the Bible, and it's considered the perfect number. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. 12 is a recurring number throughout the Bible because it's considered to be a perfect number. It symbolizes God's power and his authority as well as the completeness of the nation of Israel. See that number 12? See, we got to pay attention to things like that. It's easy to look at the number 12 and, and not even catch the coincidence that this lady had been bleeding for 12 years and Jesus completely healed her and that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. Who would touch me, Jesus asked. It says, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me, gone out from me. Jesus knew that something had happened. 
And he was asking someone to step forward and say, who was it? Who did this? He wants the person that did it to speak up. It says, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. See, just like Jairus, this woman fell down at the feet of Jesus and she was trembling at his feet. She didn't know what Jesus was going to do, how Jesus was going to react to what she had just done. He just wasn't sure. Excuse me, she just wasn't sure. It says, and fell at his feet in the presence of all of the people. She is told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. It says, then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. See, she was rewarded for her strong faith. She was instantly healed by Jesus. Because what was the first question that I asked you? The first question I asked you is, where do we turn when we're in crisis? And this woman knew she had to turn to Jesus. And she was rewarded, just like we will be rewarded, for our faith. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus' reaction to the woman. He wasn't angry. And Jesus never reacted in anger. And I know we're going to go to the table flipping in the courtyard. That was righteous anger. That's something totally different. But how did Jesus respond to people throughout his ministry? The people that wronged him, the people that accused him. What was the last thing that Jesus did on the cross? He actually prayed for the people that put him on the cross. Andy Stanley says, actions speak louder than words, but reactions speak louder than that. Jesus' reaction to the woman was to heal her for her faith. He wasn't upset that she had fought through the crowds. He wasn't upset that she had grabbed his clothes. He reacted in love and in kindness and gave her exactly what she was asking for. So says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and says, your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. So our story kind of takes a turn, right? Our story kind of takes a turn. Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, right? He was on his way to do what Jairus was asking to do, and he kind of got sidetracked. Got sidetracked in healing the bleeding woman. And imagine how Jairus must have felt at this point. Again, I want you to put yourself in Jairus' shoes. Here Jesus had kind of stopped the, the processional, so to speak, that was going to his house. And that time that Jesus took to heal the woman may very well have been the difference between life and death for his daughter. Jairus had to be devastated. He had to be devastated to think, it's too late. It's over. She's gone. There's nothing Jesus can do at this point. His daughter has just passed. Point two, when the enemy comes to discourage you, Jesus counters with hope. We're going to see in just a moment that even though Jairus 
had to be having doubts, and even though Jairus had to be devastated at this point, that Jesus is going to show up like he always does and provide hope. It says, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Let's think about this, and let's remember our timeline. Remember our timeline here? Has anybody been raised from the dead yet? This was not a common occurrence. Jairus had probably no reason to believe that Jesus had the power and the ability to do that. So when Jesus says, hey, don't worry, I got you, Jairus is probably like, yeah, right. That would be the common response, right? That might even be our response. We know that the scripture tells us that God will never leave us or forsake us. But what do we do when times get tough? We say things like, well, where's Jesus? Jesus has left me. Jesus has abandoned me. But see, we're reminded over and over again that that is not the case. It says, when he, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. It says, meanwhile, all the people were walking and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but only asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was already dead. They laughed at him. Here they'd already begin to mourn. They were crying. They were screaming. They were in pain. They were hurting. And Jesus says, what are you doing? Knock it off. I got this. And what did they do? They laughed at him. They laughed at the Messiah. They laughed at the one they had already seen and heard do amazing things. And they laughed at him. See, we can't let the naysayers and the skeptics rob us of our hope of what Jesus can do in our lives. Because you know what? They're always going to be there. Haters going to hate, right? Especially in our current age of social media, somebody always has something negative to say. No matter how good you do, no matter how hard you try, there's always somebody who doesn't want you to succeed. These people laughed at Jesus. Next time somebody mocks something you're trying to do, just remember, these people laughed at Jesus. But there's always going to be somebody who tries to bring you down. And there's always going to be somebody that tries to, to, to rob you of the hope that you have from Jesus Christ. There's always going to be people that when you're at your lowest point are going to see, see, God doesn't love you enough to fix your problems. But we know that that's not the case. But see, it's easy to let that get in our heads. It's easy to let the people who don't agree with us get in our heads. It's easy to let the people who don't want us to succeed get in our heads. Because see, when you're doing great things, that's when trials are going to come. Because see, when you're doing great things for Jesus, when you're doing great things for Christ, when you give, when you give your life to Jesus and you're out there doing the work of the Lord, the devil's going to come after you. 
Because you know what? If you're sitting there idle and you're not doing anything, the devil doesn't care. But as soon as you start going against him and you start doing the work of Jesus, that's when those flaming arrows start flying. And see, we have to not let that affect us. It says, but he took her by the hand and he said, my child, get up. And it says her spirit returned and at once she stood up and then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. I love the picture of this verse because I can almost see in my hand Jesus just kneeling down next to her bed and holding that little girl's hand and healing her and raising her back from the dead as only Jesus can do. Imagine that scene. Imagine that scene of Jesus lovingly, as a father would, kneeling at the side of her bed and taking her by the hand and healed her. And he healed her because her father had enough faith to know that Jesus is our hope. This, this man who was a Jewish leader, who was a synagogue leader, who would have been ridiculed for even thinking of going to Jesus, had enough faith to know that when his life was turned upside down and when he was in crisis, where should he go? And he went to Jesus. So here's what I want you to take away from today. And here's what I want you to think about as you get ready to, to leave and to go about your daily lives. We gotta seek Jesus first. That's where it starts. Because if you're seeking Jesus in everything that you do, then you're gonna be following his plan for your life. But we gotta seek Jesus. Are we actively seeking Jesus or is Jesus our 911? Are we actively working on our relationship with Jesus? Or is it only when things aren't going my way? See, Jesus loves us. And Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. He doesn't want us to call only when we need something. We all have that friend, right? We only hear from them when they need something. They need a ride. They need money. They need your connections. We all have those friends. Or maybe you've had those friends. Maybe you've been smart enough to walk away from those friends. But Jesus doesn't want to do that. And Jesus doesn't want to be that. And that's not to say he won't answer you. But that's not the relationship that he designed for you. And we know that because we can go all the way back to Genesis. And what did Jesus do? What did God do? God walked, God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. God walked with them and he talked with them. And that's the relationship he wanted to have with us. Right? That's what he wanted. That was God's design, is that he would walk with us and have a relationship with us, and we could talk to him. But what did we do? We messed it up. It didn't take long before we ruined our relationship with God, to the point that several years later he would send his son, so that we would have a chance of rebuilding that relationship. But we've got to seek him first. We've got to be humble. We have to know that we need Jesus. See, Jairus got it. He was a man of authority. He was a man of position. 
It probably took a lot for him to go throw himself at the feet of Jesus. But see, he knew that he needed to seek Jesus, and he was willing to put his pride aside, humble himself in the sight of the Lord, as the song we sing. Don't listen to the naysayers. Because they're going to be there. They're not going anywhere. There's always going to be people in your life trying to bring you down. There's always going to be people in your life saying, just forget about that Jesus nonsense. That's not real. He's not real. He can't save you. He doesn't love you. There's always going to be those people. And you have two choices. You can ignore them and focus on God. Or you can listen to them and lose your hope. Because see, we rest in the hope that we have in Jesus. We're not promised an easy life. We're not promised that, hey, if you'll just give your life to Jesus, everything will be roses for the rest of your life. It'll be simple. It'll be easy. You'll get everything that you want in life. But see, that's not the way it works. And see, it's easy to have strong faith when everything's going our way. But what about when we're gyrus? What about when we're gyrus and our whole world is crashing in on us? Where are we going to turn when that happens? Are we going to turn to Jesus? Are we going to turn away from Jesus? John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I want to leave you with that scripture this morning. I want to leave you with that thought that Jesus is the only way. Jairus knew that. The woman who had been bleeding knew that. And you and I, in the back of our minds, we know that. But we need to be focused on Jesus and know and understand and practice the fact that he is the only way, that we have hope for something so much greater than what this life has to offer. Because let's just be honest, this life isn't great. There's sickness, there's sorrow, there's depression. But one day, if we stay the course and we focus on this scripture, we have a chance. We have a chance to spend eternity in the most amazing place that you can possibly imagine. And I don't know what exactly what heaven's going to be like. We can read Revelation and we can get a pretty good idea. But I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like, but I do know this. I know it's going to be amazing, and I know it's going to be worth it. And it's going to make all of this stuff that you and I deal with every day totally worthwhile. And, you know, I hear people say all the time, one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus why this happened. I'm going to ask Jesus why he allowed this to happen. I'm going to ask Jesus why this happened. No, you're not. You're going to get to heaven, and you're going to be so in awe of our Lord and Savior, and so happy, you're not going to care about anything that happened here. You're going to do just like Jairus, and you're probably going to fall at his feet, and you're going to worship him for eternity. Maybe you've never had that opportunity to truly commit your life to Jesus Christ. The baptistry is full. It's possibly warm, but it's definitely full. If you've never had a chance to be baptized, if you've never had a chance to say, Lord, I want to put my past in the past. Lord, I don't want to be held accountable for those things that I've done in the past. I don't want to live that life that I've been living anymore. You have a chance today to be baptized, and you can walk out that door with the hope that is only found 
in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've been a Christian your whole life. Maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, but life just keeps beating you down. And maybe that's, that's caused a rift in your relationship with Jesus. Relationships are hard, we know that. If you want to come forward this morning, either, either as we sing this last song, or if you want to come find one of us after, we would love to talk with you. We would love to pray for you. We'd love to help you in any way that we can as we stand together and as we sing. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Torn through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ, my living goal Who could imagine So great a mercy What heart could fathom Such boundless grace The God of ages Stepped down from glory To wear my sin And bear my shame The cross is spoken I am forgiven The King of kings calls me 